can food really be addicting? Something that we need for survival multiple times a day? It seems so strange, but we want to answer this question while comparing and contrasting the definition of addiction and how food may or may not fit into that criteria. This is the Nourishment Community Podcast. I'm Alice, and I'm a dietitian. And I'm Matt. I'm a researcher, educator, and husband to Alice. We want to help you build a positive relationship with food. And get in tune with what you need to feel great. So listen for a small change you can make today. Welcome to this episode. We're going to be talking about food addiction and if it really is a real thing. Now, we talk a lot on this podcast about enjoying your food and becoming a mindful eater so that you can have a positive relationship with food. And for many of you, it's simply a mind shift, just becoming aware and gaining some skills and knowledge and looking at it differently, right? And changing your behavior that way. And sometimes we joke around on the podcast. Matthew helps me keep it light, I hope. <laughs> um, what about for those of you who feel addicted or you feel kind of out of control, like there's no such thing as just a little bit, like eating a little of this leads to a full-on binge. Is it addiction or is it something else? All right. So we talk about addiction and we talk about food. Those two coming together, what is it and what even is addiction? Okay, it's important to recognize that our brains are hardwired to seek pleasure and to respond to rewards, okay? So just because you're responding to something pleasurable doesn't mean that you're going to become addicted. Yes, but it does mean you're going to work at Chick-fil-A because it's my pleasure. It means you're going to work at Chick-fil-A? When you say thank you, they always say, it's my pleasure. (laughs) Matt, you keep me on my toes. What is addiction, Alice? What is considered addiction? Well, certain individuals seem to be vulnerable to developing addiction. And what happens when addiction develops is really five things. You develop um, these intense cravings and urges for the substance or the behavior. You develop a tolerance to it where you need more of it to get the same response that you enjoyed initially. Um, you experience withdrawal symptoms if you stop and it creates negative effects in your life, but you continue to use it anyway. That's a signal. And lastly, as the addiction progresses, you become more drawn to the substance or the behavior as a way to mitigate a negative feeling rather than to bring on a pleasurable. So let me say that in a better way. Um, it progresses from positive reinforcement where you just simply enjoy it to negative reinforcement where you feel something negative and you're trying to make it go away by using this substance or behavior. So we have this definition from psychology. We're looking at how does food fit into this, into this and if it does, how do we work with it, right? And how do you even know if you have an addiction to food? Well, first of all, we really enjoy what we call palatable foods, foods that taste yummy, that are really intense and rich, high in fat, salt, and sugar. We're just hardwired to enjoy that. And scientifically, fat and salt do not stimulate the same chemical pathway as sugar does. So based on um, 
chemical addiction is when you release a lot of dopamine, you stimulate the pleasure center in your brain, and you even release natural opiates, okay? And this reward system is just, it's um, down-regulated by your brain to kind of reach a homeostatic point where, you know, you're not too high, you're not, you're not too overboard, no chemicals are too high in your brain, and so you're going to down-regulate to where you feel worse without it. And then because of the memory of that pleasurable experience, you're really driven to want it again. You want to create that same pleasurable feeling again. Now, fat and salt don't release those same um, chemicals. So they, they can release some dopamine, some pleasure, but they don't get the opiates or the beta endorphins released like sugar does. So sugar really has drug-like properties, really. Um, if you look at a functional MRI. So f- properties on our brain, how they affect our, our brain chemistry is what you're saying. Yeah. They follow the same pathway chemically that that drugs and alcohol do in your brain. So it's a similarity, not exactly the same, right? Right. Each person is different, but. And and there there's huge variance individually. <clears throat> not everyone who drinks alcohol is an alcoholic. Not everyone who enjoys sugar is a sugar addict. Not everyone who eats fries and hamburgers eats them compulsively. But there are folks who, for whatever reason, genetically, or they're predisposed with depression or reinforced behavior, that they continue to go to this. And it becomes a problem when, you know, that you just lose control over it. And especially when there's negative effects in your life, you know, with health problems or whatnot. So here's your answer, folks. Yes, sugar can be addicting. Um, binge eating actually is a disorder for like the mental health, you know, diagnostic manual at their DSM five. If you've heard of that binge eating is in there, but sugar really is the only chemical that we know scientifically actually stimulates these parts of your brain, um, to release these chemicals in large amounts to become addictive. So the only food chemical. Yes. Cause there are lots of chemicals that are addictive. Yes. <laughs> food chemicals. All right, so the claim is that sugar is addictive. Not so much salt, not so much the savory or the fat, though those are all delicious, right? Sometimes it's in the excess, but sugar has a unique effect. How do I know the difference between, man, this is a really good Cadbury egg, which is my standard, everybody, and I just got to get more of it. And it, it sounds funny for those who may not be, who may not have or experience sugar addiction, it's like, ah, you're just, it's just in your head. But what's the difference between enjoying it a lot and an addiction? Well, like everything, there's a spectrum, a whole spectrum of just innocent pleasures or casual use of it, all the way up to I'm dependent on it. It's my go-to up to full-blown addiction where you just have lost all control and you're going to it even if you're not even enjoying it anymore. That's what happens with, with drug use is they don't even really feel good, but they keep going to it. You know, like I said, the negative reinforcement. So really it's taken over your life and taken over your thoughts and it's, it's destroying that and you may not even notice it. Right. Right. And like I said, not everyone is sensitive to sugar. So it can be addictive, but not everyone necessarily will. So the difference I would say is if you feel like you can eat it in moderation, or if you feel like you can eat a little bit and walk away from it, you're probably not stimulating really strong chemicals in your brain. 
if you're sensitive to it, you're going to get a rush of endorphins and you release serotonin and you release dopamine. And it's like it creates an appetite for itself. So if what you're eating makes it harder for you to put it down because you tasted it, that means you've probably primed yourself for this stimulation. It makes you want more of it. So it's not just behavior. I mean, there we, as you stated earlier, the brain chemistry is involved. It's created cravings and it begins to affect your life. So it's not just a, well, I could change my behavior. I could, what, what I'm bringing up is this. It's not just a matter of, hey, just stop doing it. You're fine. That's right. And it's a little different also even than emotional eating, where emotional eating is going to it as a, as a distraction or to numb you because you don't want to deal with other things. And you can get out of that with mindset changes and with healing your mind and, and addressing your emotional wounds and things like that. This is actually a physical chemical response that I'm talking about. But they are related to each other. So you could have that, uh, that sugar addiction, but you may also have emotional eating, different behaviors, memories associated with different things. I'm just saying, when I go to such and such place, I have to put sugar in it, you know, or I have to eat a lot of sugar. So a lot of things play into this. This isn't just a singular thing, but we're saying what's unique is the brain chemistry. Absolutely. Now, most likely you eat sugar every day. I think it it's hard to imagine a life without sugar. Okay, so sugar in and of itself is not bad. So there's processed sugar, but there's also sugars that naturally occur. Like I love fruit, right? I really enjoy fruit. And so there's sugar in that. And there's, su- there's sugar in pretty much everything. Right. Naturally occurring. And I believe it's one of the simple pleasures of life. And just like all pleasures, they've got to be, you know, in some sort of balance or else they can kind of start controlling you and, you know, give you negative outcomes where you were seeking something good. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard that refined white flour acts a lot like sugar. So how does, if I were a sugar addict, how would that affect me? Okay. White flour is a huge comfort food that's very, very common because it has a calming, relaxing uh, effect on you. It raises your serotonin. It's pleasurable, can give you, you know, these responses in your brain, but not quite like sugar. Someone addicted to sugar would probably somewhat enjoy and crave white flour, white processed flour, but they're really going to want to go to um, straight refined sugar sources. So the more concentrated the carbohydrate, um, the more response you get in your brain. And the higher response you get in your brain of these chemicals, the more of a high or the more addictive it is and the faster it gets out of your brain because your body senses an overload and wants to push it out quickly. So you get highs and lows, you get withdrawals, you get mood swings, um, you get dependence, uh, the more... Um, the more concentrated the substance is. And this is the same with drugs. The faster that drug gets into your brain, the more addictive it is and the harder it is to go off the substance. Okay. Now, what does this look like in real life? You're listening right now. You're saying, well, do I have food addiction? Do I just like sugar? What does it look like, Alice? I'd say sugar addiction looks like intense cravings for sweets. So not only is it just kind of added here or there into your meals, but you're craving intense amounts of it and you're probably binging daily. And you're thinking about it a lot, right? I'd say from what I've seen, the constant thinking about it is more associated with emotional eating, whereas sugar addiction cravings 
come on very strong and fast, kind of like suddenly in the moment. It probably happens multiple times a day and it just comes on and you feel like you need to get that fix immediately, that sugar fix. Um, it would look, I guess, like irritability without it, or I can't function fully without it. I've got to get my fix first. Almost like I need to smoke my cigarette because I'm jonesing. I'm feeling irritable or shaky or whatever. I'm not a smoker, so I don't know exactly what it feels like. But, um, you know, you just, you've got to fix this. It becomes your first and most priority at the moment before you can continue on with what you have to do. And that to me is being enslaved. Okay. Actually, the word addiction comes from the Latin word meaning enslaved. And nobody really wants to be enslaved to anything if you think about it, right? Mm -hmm. So I really want to offer some hope and some help that there is a way out. There's a similarity with, with other chemical addictions, but it's much easier to get out of you know, a sugar addiction than many other things, even though, yes, you, you may see it and be around it often and we have to eat every day, but you can retrain your brain. You can heal your brain a lot faster than from other chemicals and you can retrain your thinking and learn other ways to cope through life and, you know, find the enjoyment again. It can be overcome. Absolutely. Absolutely can be overcome. Now, what research around this did you want to share? Well, I think it's interesting that the sugar opiate connection is demonstrated in some studies, especially on pain tolerance. First of all, clinically, sugar is used in babies orally to keep them from crying and to reduce their pain when they have to get their little heel pricks or little painful procedures. And, and they find that they really do cry less and everything. And it's not just from like feeding sugar in their meal if they're getting like a tube feeding, but only when it's on their tongue. So like when it releases this pleasurable experiences where they taste it, even non-nutritive sweeteners like artificial sweeteners have the same response according to studies, which I think is interesting. Um, also, there's been studies from children up to adults on pain threshold when you eat sugar versus nothing or eating other things, and they find that it increases your pain threshold. Here's an interesting study. There's something called a pressure algometer, if I'm saying that right. So the study um, put pressure on people's fingers, and they had you eat either rice cakes or olives or chocolate chip cookies, and then squeezed, and the participants had the option to remove their finger at any point that it became too painful. And they found that when they were eating the chocolate chip cookies, that they held their finger there longer. They had a higher pain tolerance and felt less pain. Now, what does that have to do with addiction? Well, we know that opiates, which is natural opioids, as you might know them, um, have a pain-relieving effect in our body. And these natural opiates are what are released from sugar consumption. And some people seem to be more sensitive to that. I don't know if they're making more opiates or if they're just sensitive to the release of it and it's, it's just um, more addictive. Their brain really responds to that pathway and wants to repeat it. And we know that opioids are highly addictive, right? So it sounds like being enslaved or addicted is not, you know, that's, that's a, a painful sounding thing. And it'd be hard to even want to say, oh, to recognize that you have that or not. But you have some personal experience with this, Alice. I do. And, you know, it's hard for me to even remember what I felt as far as, you know, shame or guilt around the whole thing. I do know I ate in secret 
and I binged and I had to eat my sugar and get my sugar fixes before I could function, especially the more tired or stressed I was. But I don't know, for me, I guess talking about it and reading about it, realizing that there were other folks that had this too, made me feel like, you know, it's not so much something to be in shame over. I felt like it was just a genetic weakness of mine. It's just something that I was kind of predisposed to do and something that I fell into when I was in a period of depression. So, um, I mean, I can relate to, to after binging and feeling the remorse or the regret and even shame or guilt over it. But overall, like I personally just don't attach the same value as like a drug addict, you know, and even then I try to look at them in a compassionate way of how did they get in this and how can you get out of it? I always look for the underlying reasons, but yeah, I, I guess I just looked at it kind of matter of factly of this is just something that I've succumbed to and I didn't feel like the overarching shame of myself over it. I, I knew that I wanted to get out of it. I knew that it was going to lead me to things that I didn't want physically and I knew it caused mood swings and I just wanted to become whole again. What can we do now though? If, you're, if you find yourself in a situation, what works and what doesn't work? Okay. Diets absolutely are not going to help you. So simply finding some external rules of these are forbidden and these other things are okay, that is going to make it worse. So simply resisting or putting value on it where, you know, you're doing a bad thing or this food is is bad or evil, like just any of that value Dr. is going to- evil. <laughs> <laughs> any of that- <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just visioning that like a sugar- cube and it's like evil sugar cube. <laughs> well, I mean, you probably won't think of it in that term, that word, but but we kind of put value on things, right? Mm-hmm. So shaming yourself into change is not going to work, but really it's about acceptance and changing your mindset of, you know, becoming, um, becoming educated of this is what it is. This is what's happening to me biochemically. This is what's going on. And deciding that there is a better way. So allowing yourself the space to make the decision of whether or not you want to do this or not. If you can get to the point where you can see why you want out to really truly desire is huge. Okay. Do it for yourself. Don't do it to look good or first to please somebody else or whatever, but because you truly desire. And this is where It's different from the other nutritional advice that I give to my clients. If you truly have an addiction going on, you have a changed brain. So addiction really is a disease of the brain where you have changed biochemically your pathways, your, um, you know, you've downregulated where you feel worse without it and you need more of it to get it. Tell us, you said that we're downregulated. Okay. So that's where... Your brain wants to keep about the same level, like a moderate level of chemicals going through your body. And so if you get a rush of something, your brain says, this is too much. This is out of balance. It's not conducive to good health and survival. So your body shuts down the receptors that pick up that chemical. And so you actually have like antagonistic chemicals that you produce and you shut down receptors for it. So you feel worse and worse without it, and it takes more and more to feel good. Mm. So that's an addicted brain. You said changing your mindset. Making a decision is huge. 
Yes. And before that even all happens, we've got to be aware that this is actually even a case. And accepting also that it's okay. If you've fallen into this, it's okay. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to get help. It's okay to get professional help. That's right. But this is different than um, other advice that I give because you can't simply just start doing the better thing. You actually have to heal that brain and you have to upregulate. You have to kind of let it settle into the normal, you know. So that means a period of abstinence before you can reintroduce it. So that's why it is important to know if you really are having struggles with eating in moderation or you can't just eat a little bit, you probably need to heal the brain before you reintroduce it. But I'm huge on on not shaming foods and not saying never, you know, finding ways that work for you when the time is right to reintroduce in balanced ways where you see food really in a healthy light. So it's really letting our bodies and our brain get back in tune. It has become so out of tune, we're letting it get back. That's right. We need time to heal and make time for yourself. All right. So Alice, you've gone through this. You've experienced it and you still live with it today. This is something that you continue. You'll talk to me saying, hey, Matt, I just can't have that sugar because it's going to throw me into a situation where I feel I lose control. Yes, I still have triggers. I still have genetic wiring to be addicted, but I've learned to become very in tune with my triggers. And I've learned that the moment that I feel a food create an appetite for itself, I literally want to run away because I don't want to enter that space again. I don't want to become that addicted brain again. Right. So it takes some learning. It takes learning just even some factual knowledge and learning some skills and even some secrets, some insider secrets on how to deal with this, not only from your your experience, but you've got experience from um, other professionals. You've got it from the research. So you have a lot to share. And so if somebody is feeling like they, they need help, Alice, what can, what can they do specifically with you? Okay. So if somebody else works for you, then great. Get an accountability partner. But I would love to be yours. I actually have a 90-day to freedom program where I help you recover from sugar addiction. I really try to keep my program accessible to everyone where I want to give quality service at an affordable price. And I've been there and I also have the professional training. So really, I would love to help you step-by-step step go through this healing, the retraining of your brain and reintroducing in balanced ways. But if not, find someone who you can talk to and start exploring this. There are some books out there. Also, you could read um, someone who can help you and support you in needing to abstain for a while from sugar before you can do all those healthy eating practices that you really want to be doing. That's right. So we are inviting you, whatever you felt that you need to do today, is make that small and simple change today. We love discussing this topic with you. We believe deeply in what we are doing and know it can help change people's lives. We are building a community around nourishment for our bodies and souls. So if you like what you heard, subscribe to the Nourishment Community Podcast. And if you feel that it can help others, please spread the word. We also invite you to visit our website to learn more 
or to sign up for individualized nutrition counseling at nourishment.community. That's nourishment.community. C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y.